So I'm going to start this morning with a question that I think I already know the answer to, but I'm still going to ask it, and I'm going to give you the freedom maybe to not respond, because if you respond the way I think that you would respond, you're going to make the people around you very uncomfortable. Okay? You ready? Here's the question. How many of you at some point in your life have been in a situation and you thought to yourself, I wish I had a way to make everybody disappear? Yeah, it's like, see, like, I didn't want you to raise your hand because people around you are like, oh, God, they're going to kill me. Like, what is happening, right? All of us probably at some point, um, certain places come to mind, like Walmart, when they say that they'll open extra lines, but they don't. Um, DMV. Uh, um, Cody is actually in the back helping with with family life right now, but Cody is a big Patriots fan, and so Cody, I know, pray for him, right? Um, so Cody went, he went to the preseason game Friday night, so if you've ever been, like, to enemy territory for a game, but you're, you know, like, if you're a Panthers fan, you go to Philadelphia, right? Like, just that kind of stuff. It's like, if you could just push a button and make people disappear, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be a great spiritual gift? It's not one, but I think God knew why he didn't make that a gift, right? Because we would use it. We'd be like always pushing the button, right? It would be crazy. So um, listen, full disclosure, I told you last week that I was going to make a statement that I thought was so revolutionary that it was going to take us the next three weeks to unpack it. And the statement was, the kingdom is in us. And you all looked at me like you're looking at me now going, that doesn't sound revolutionary at all. Like we all believe that, right? We believe that the kingdom has come and the kingdom is in us. We believe it. But then I got your attention. I followed up with this statement. If the kingdom is in us, and it is, it should change everything. Carrying the kingdom, carrying the presence of God, should change how we walk, who we walk with, where we walk, and what we do when we get there. But if we're honest, it doesn't. A lot of us have become used to nodding our head on Sunday. Yes, the kingdom has come. Yes, the kingdom is in me. That's exactly right, Paul. You preached it better than anybody I've ever heard preach it. But then Monday through Saturday, not much changes. And so last week we talked about how we walk, right? It should change how we walk. If we're carrying something as valuable as the kingdom, it should change how we walk. Today, we're talking about it should change who we walk with, and that involves people. The same people that make you want to zap the button, push that button and zap them out of here, right? Like the people that drive you crazy, the slow drivers, right? And you always get behind the slow drivers when you don't have time. It's like they know. It's like they have, they have a network and they, 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 somebody's spying your house and they know that you left late. And so they start working the network. Just pulled out of Autumn Lane. Turning left on Austin. So somebody up ahead pulls out a little bit, right? I got to turn off to the left. They relay the message so somebody else can pull back onto Austin when they pull off. I mean, it's almost like they just know. Like the people that we want to get rid of, those are the people that we need to talk about today. Because when, when we understand the kingdom is in us, it changes who we walk with. Um, I'm not going to take my 
my foot off the gas pedal, right? So last week, I, we went hard last week about how we walk, and today we're going to keep going hard about who we walk with. We're going to put up the Lord's Prayer. It's in Matthew, and we're going to read this together. I want you, again, to think through. This is what we've been talking about for the last four weeks, right? This is what Jesus said when his disciples said, how do we pray? Here's what Jesus said, and, and we have it up here so you can read it with me. Will you do it? Okay, this will be like flashback to me being raised in the Methodist church when we said this every single week, right? So here's, here's what Jesus said. Read it with me. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. So here's what I didn't hear in that prayer. Me. There's only one individual mentioned in that prayer. Who is it? God. And then everything else is, is us. Did you, did you catch that? There's no me in there. Now listen, I don't mean that like as a political socialism versus capitalism statement, okay? This is just a kingdom observation. In that prayer... There's no me. Take this another step further. Pretend like you're one of those disciples, right? So you're hanging out with Jesus, and you say to Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And the, the implication is whatever you teach me now, I'm going to take with me tomorrow when I wake up, and I'm going to have my quiet time and it's probably just going to be me because, you know, everybody knows Peter snores, and I don't want to hang out with Peter. He's probably got gas during the night, and I don't want to be around that. So in the morning, I'm going to get away from Peter, and I'm going to hang out just me and the Father. And so this prayer that Jesus taught them was probably going to be prayed individually, but he didn't teach them to pray as individuals. I want to make sure you're catching that. It's okay if you're lost because you'll come back in a minute. He didn't say, go off and say, give me my daily bread. He said, this is how you should pray. As an individual, when you pray, you should pray, Father, forgive us. Give us. Lead us. The kingdom is in us. This is a good time to look around the people around you. Just look at them. They don't look nearly as nice as you, do they? They're different than you, right? We're all different, very, very different. The kingdom is a kingdom of us. Now, listen, I was going to preach this morning that there's no room for me in the we. That sounds weird, doesn't it? You're like, Paul, come on, man. But, but God convicted me that there is me in we. There is an individual aspect to Christianity, probably not as individualistic as we've made it in America. Me and Jesus got a good thing going on, and I'd rather people not mess it up. That's kind of the philosophy of the American church, isn't it? Me and Jesus got a good thing going on, and I'd like for you to not mess it up. So I might come to church with you, but if you start to bug me, I'm going to be, take my Jesus and go home. There is an aspect of our individual faith, but it's included in a greater body. There's a community in believers that Jesus calls all of us to. The kingdom is not just in me individually. The kingdom is in us together. So here's, here's how I ended up wording it. Check this out. 
God is building a kingdom, and the kingdom he is building brings me into the we. The kingdom he is building brings me. He doesn't say you're not important because you are. We all knew that you're important, right? You're important, but I'm bringing you into something bigger. I'm bringing me into the we. So none of us walks alone. Carrying the kingdom changes who we walk with. And I'm going to just give you today three takeaways based on that, based on that idea, okay? Here's the first takeaway. All of us have a part to play. All of us have a part to play. Um, have you ever heard of Laurel, Boone, Hutzel? Anybody? I hadn't either. I hadn't either. I had never heard of Miss Hutzel until this past week when I found this post on Facebook and, and here's how the post went. She said that um, she had sent her son to school for the first day of class. And the first day of class was also school picture day. And the son came home and he said, Mom, um, maybe next time don't send me to picture day wearing a green polo because they used a green screen. And she said to him, a green screen? They used a green screen? Huh. Maybe I missed something in the email but I'm sure it'll be fine. And then she posted pictures showing that it wasn't. And I brought some of these so you could see it, some of these pictures. <laughs> what happens when your son wears a green shirt and they're using a green screen? We just kind of go through a few of these. This is fantastic. I mean, I will say that he never changed his pose ever, right? Their Christmas cards are going to be awesome this year. <laughs> All of us have a part to play. Now, that's pretty funny, and it's gone viral, and, you know, it's been shared like tens of thousands of times and all that kind of stuff. But if you take that concept and bring it into the body of Christ, it's not quite as funny anymore. I would submit that that may be a pretty good representation of the way that we think the body of Christ functions. There's just this head floating around every now and then an arm does something. I'm not quite sure how it's all connected, but something's happening, right? It looks a little bit weird. But here's how Paul said it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 20. He said, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but all have been baptized into one body by one spirit. We all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one. If the foot says I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. It just makes it a miserable foot, right? If the ear says I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part, one floating head, one floating arm. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. Listen, all of us have a part to play in this body. And Paul would be saying this, if we don't all play our part, the body's going to be a little jacked up. Things aren't going to quite function like they should function. 
if we don't all play our part. When I was in college, um, I finally got my own room. Yes. I, I was going to Pfeiffer College. That was back before it became a university. And I got to live at home. And I had grown up sharing a room with my brother. And um, when I went to college, my parents decided I'd, I needed to have my own space. And so I, I would get up super early in the morning. And how many of you are snooze button pushers? Anybody here? Or now it's just on your phone, right? You just hit that little thing and it just gives you some more time. So I had an alarm clock. The, the snooze went off every nine minutes. And so I had figured out that if I had to get up at 6, I needed to set my alarm for 542 because that gave me two snooze buttons. And then I was up, right, on, on the good days. So 542 is early. Can I get an amen? Yes. Some of y'all are up at like 4 probably, but some of you are sleeping like till 12. Anyway, so 542, it's burned in my brain, right? Burned in my brain, 542. And, and it would have been okay if I'd had a phone, an iPhone, because you can set like a, a, a softer alarm, you know, like a little chirp thing going on. But this was back in the day when I was an alarm clock, like it would roll, and it was, it, you didn't have options. It didn't wake me up to the music. It woke me up to this. Ah, that was my alarm clock at 542, y'all, 542. So... My parents slept all the way in the back, and my brother slept in his room in the back, and then my sister, they were all at the front. But I was in the middle of the long hall going from the front to the back. So I think probably I could wake the whole house up, right, where, my, where I was positioned. And one morning, I remember the alarm went off, 542. And I don't know if you're a quick riser or slow. I don't wake right up. Not back then. Maybe I do now, but not back then. So it was like you kind of like having this dream. Of, and like in my dream, I could somebody's blowing their horn at me, right? You just kind of hear this horn, and it's like, what is that? No, it's my alarm clock. And so I went, now, my room, I slept on my, of course, I slept on my bed. My bed's like down here, but right next to my bed. I didn't have a night, like a bedside table. What I had was a bedside dresser that was this tall, right? And so my dress, I'm down here, my dresser's up here, and my alarm clock is on here. So when I woke up, my normal routine was like, hear it, slap it, you know, and then go on my day. But this day, when I woke up, and I went to slap it, my arm didn't move. Because my arm fell asleep during the night. You, you, you know what that feels like? I mean, how many of you, honestly, when your arm falls asleep, you play with it? Do you do that? Like, like, I, I'm like, I'll pick it up and drop it on my chest. Like, I just mess around with it, right? So, like, I went to turn my alarm clock off, and I couldn't use my arm. So then I was like, oh, well, it's still going off. It didn't, like, ah, ah. It was like, ah, the whole time, just this loud. And I'm like, I'm going to wake everybody. The whole neighborhood is going to be woken up because I can't. So I can't use my arm, so I went to use my other arm. Problem was, it was dead, too. Both of my arms would not move. Which, man, I couldn't even play with my dead arms because, I, I mean, you know, what, do you, you know, what do you do? Nothing. You can do nothing. And I, how, like, I'm trying to think fast. Like, it's, in the, it's early in the morning, and it's still going off, and I'm just like, I don't want to wake anybody up. How do you turn your alarm clock off at 542 in the morning when you're down here, and it's up there, and your arms don't move? And I couldn't think of anything else to do, but I just, like, dropped an arm off my bed and, like, swung it and built up some and Bam! You know, Trying to hit that thing. Finally got it off. See, if your body's not functioning right, you'll have problems. All of us have a part to play. Nobody can afford to be asleep at the wheel. Like we've all got a part. If the kingdom is in us, if the kingdom that he is building 
brings me into the we, then all of us have a part to play. You have a part to play. All of us do. Here's the second observation. You don't just have a part to play. You've got a story to tell. You have a story to tell. <laughs> some of y'all are like, uh, oh, yeah, I got some stories to tell, right? But your story is a story of grace. Can I read you um, a verse that maybe you don't hear a lot of preachers read because it sounds awful. You know, it's not one of the feel-good verses unless you hear what, what Paul's really saying, okay? Check this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Here's what Paul said. He said, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people. Everybody say everybody. I think he, got, he pretty much got all of us, right? He said none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. That's why nobody reads that. Because like, holy cow. None of those will inherit the kingdom of God. That's not good preaching. It doesn't make me feel really good. Except for the next verse, verse 11. Some of you were. Everybody say were. You were once like that. But you were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, you've got a story to tell. You have a story to tell about what you were, but who you aren't anymore. All of us have a story to tell. If the kingdom is in us, then all of us in Christ have a story to tell. Listen to this statement. Telling the story about who you were gives people hope to become more than who they are. We don't tell enough stories. And I don't mean by stories like fake stories, right? Like, yeah, I used to be a bodybuilder. No, I'm like, like real stories. Like, you know, the most powerful services that we have are not when I preach. The most powerful services we have are when people stand up here and say, this is who I used to be, but this is who I am today. I was this. I am this. And the reason why it's powerful is because Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our what? Testimony. And so when you get up and say, this is who I was, somebody's listening to him going, that might be who you were, but that's who I am now. And you're telling me that you've changed? I got to talk to you after church. I've got to hear more about your story. Every story, every story holds the power to help someone. Can I just state the obvious? Your story is your story. It's unique to you. It's unique to you, but it's not uniquely for you. It was meant to be told because knowing your story helps us understand your steps. Can I just say that one more time? Have you ever felt misunderstood? Well, if you're, okay, if you're here and you're like a teenager, that's your whole life, right? You don't understand. Like, like somehow your parents forgot what it was like to be a teenager. Trust me, I, we didn't, right? Like, it, it sucks. We get it, right? We still remember having parents. It's hard. You don't understand me. Like we all feel like we don't, we're not understood. But can I just tell you this? Knowing your story helps me understand your steps. 
something about knowing your story, I go, oh, that's why you did that. That's why you never make eye contact. We, we, I, tell you, I tell you, we do, um, we do a special service. We call it the Wonderful Service every Wednesday, 10 o'clock at Central Methodist Church, and it's for GHA and Monarch. It's my favorite. I love y'all. But they're my favorite, right? I mean, I love that service. It's like 70 adults with special needs, and it's crazy. Y'all are so respectful, and you're so quiet, and they're just like, they'll just do whatever. It's so much fun, right? If they don't like what I'm saying, they'll just, be, they'll just tell me. I mean, it's all good. When you don't understand them, it's hard to really know them. I remember one, one time, I, you know, I like to touch people, like shake hands and like pat them on the shoulder. And this one guy, came, he's, he's always walking in fast, like fast, and, and he almost looks mad. He's just walking in, you know, head down. And just. And one, one morning, I just like instinctively, I just tapped him on the shoulder like, hey, good morning. He, was, he pulled back like that, and I like wet my pants. It scared the snot out of me, honestly. I was like, holy cow, like what's going to happen right now? But he, what I learned is he didn't like to be touched. Right? So I could either force that on him or I can understand his story and then I'll understand his steps. But the reason he doesn't like to be touched is, listen, you've got a story. And we don't know you without your story. We can't understand your steps without knowing your story. You don't know my steps without knowing my story. I mean, I want to make sure you get that. When you tell your story... What you're saying is, this explains who I am. It doesn't define who you are. It just explains who you are. Here's how I got to where I am today. And there's power in that. Man, some of y'all would be the best preachers we have in this church. Just tell your story. Just tell somebody your story. Now, some stories are harder to hear than others. And you might have one of those, right? But they're all worth hearing. They're all worth hearing. You've got a story to tell. All of us do. I need to make one final observation, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. Um, this, one's, this one's probably the most important because I think that the first two are good, but I think this last one keeps us in unity, all right? So all of us have a, a part to play, and all of us have a story to tell. All of us have a need to meet. All of us have a need to meet. What do we... What do we mean by that? We don't all have the same material needs, but all of us have one basic need. Here it is. Redemption from sin and adoption into a family. Everybody say all. All. Those of you who barely made it to church this morning because you were killing your kids in the car, (laughs) you're like, Dude, I know I got a need, right? I need mercy and maybe the judge not to find me, right? But what happens in church is we tend to divide church into the good people and the bad people. So the good people, out of the goodness of their heart, help the bad people. But that's not church, and that's not the gospel. The gospel is a good God helping everybody. All of us have a need to meet Every last one of us. Um, here, let me read this, this scripture to you from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. I love this passage. 
It says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Now, that's real church language, right? But the, back in the day that the Bible was written, the, the bulk of the people that were reading it were either Jews or Gentiles. And so the Jews, of course, were God's chosen people. Chosen people, right? So they walked around like that too. You're like, hey, I was first picked, y'all. I'm talking as a Jew. You know I was never first picked, right? I'm first picked, y'all. God loves us the most. He, we've been with him ever since Abraham. I mean, who do you think you are? You dog. That's what they call Gentiles. They called them dogs. Like, not like, what's up, dog? But like, you're a dog. I mean, it was not a good thing, right? Some of y'all are like, I'm a dog. I'm going to start calling you P-Dog. Don't do that. No, 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 no. Not P-Dog. Not we dog. No, 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 none of that, right? Just dog. Like, they call them dogs. They, they were, Gentiles were not loved, right? So he says to the Gentiles, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders, as if they would forget that, right? They knew. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. It was not a good thing. Who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. What's he basically saying? You had no family. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, everybody say, but. Like we like to say at the gathering, the, fi- the Bible is full of big butts, and they're good, right? This is a good one. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. You know what the context of that is? The context of that is verses 1 through 10 in Ephesians. We're not going to read all that. But he says in verses 1 through 10 that what we all have and need is salvation by grace, through faith in Christ. It's the salvation that we all need that brings all of us together into one family carrying the kingdom. And the minute that some of us think that we don't have a need to be met is the minute that pride comes into a church and destroys everything. It's the minute that pride comes into a church and not only can we not get along, but we can't even minister to the city because we're the good people and they're the bad ones. Or we're, oh, the word that, it's so true, it is so true, but Christians have ruined it. We're blessed. What, and they're not? Can they never be? All of us have a need to meet. All of us needed a Savior. All of us. Listen, it's not the struggle that unites us. It's the Savior. I hear that all the time. The struggle unites us. Yeah, are we talking about the, the, the soccer team from Thailand a couple weeks ago? Yeah, the struggle united them for sure in a cave. But if they didn't have a common Savior, they'd all be dead, right? The goal is not to be united in dead. It's to be united in life. And so it's not the struggle that unites us. It's the Savior. Here's how I know. Amos chapter 3, verse 3. I'll just read these to you really quickly. It says this, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? I would argue that only in Christ can we even agree to walk together, right? Check this out. Proverbs 13, 20. I love this. Proverbs 13, 20. It says, walk with the wise and become wise. That sounds good. For a companion of fools suffers harm. So the goal cannot just be to be together because you can be together with fools and suffer harm. (laughs) Can I get an amen on that one, right? You're like, dude, have I learned that in my life, right? Holy cow. My parents always told me, hey, whoever you hang out with, that could be your future. And we're like, nah, that's not really true. Uh, Hey, mom, dad, can you bail me out of jail? 
I mean, like, nobody walks into a mall all by themselves and says, today is a good idea to shoplift, right? But walk in with a pack of fools, and somebody says, I bet you won't. Oh, yes, I will. It's like, see how that works? It's like, that's that whole redneck. Y'all watch this, right? Right before you die. Okay. The point here is, the point here is, the goal is not just to be together. The goal is to be together and growing wiser. If you walk with the wise, the gospel, carrying the, it should change who we walk with. I'd like to walk with wise people. And who are wise people? Wolfpack fans, right? Can I get an amen? Come on. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I just ruined the whole message right there. It's just gone. Here's... <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, I need help. Here, listen, listen. The Bible says in Proverbs 9.10 that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. How do we grow wise? We walk around with people who know, I have a need to be met. I needed a Savior. I need a Savior, and I will need a Savior. And so will you. As long as we don't forget that, then we recognize that we're in a room full of people who are all the same, even though we're all different. Let me just make this statement and then we'll wrap up. Meeting your needs with my resources is socialism or generosity. Meeting our needs with God's resources is Christianity. We got to get that, right? Because church was never intended to be political. And, and it, we could have everything in common like the believers did in, in, in the New Testament in Acts. But sometimes people see that and go, oh, well, that's socialism. No, that's the gospel. All of us together need him. Not all of us together, and you need him a little bit more than I do. No, we all need him equally. We all have a need to be met. We all need a Savior. You do, I do, all of us. So how do we wrap this up? Here's how we're going to do it. The world understands the kingdom of me, definitely understands the kingdom of me, but God's not bringing us into a kingdom of me. He's bringing us into a kingdom of we. That's the testimony to the world. The world does not understand that. Um, recently, Sydney and Wendy and I watched a movie called Same Kind of Different as Me. Holy cow. What a movie. And as we're watching this movie, it's, and it's, about, um, it's about a woman who loves the homeless people in her city, and then her husband is a jerk, and she brings him along, and, and really the story is about a relationship that he forms with just um, a really difficult man in the shelter. Same kind of different as me. As we're watching it, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to give spoilers away, but he, her husband, is like your typical white, middle-class, rich, entitled arrogant, I'm trying to think of better words to describe him, jerk. And the man he's trying to build a relationship with is like this angry, violent, 
black, homeless man. It's like as stereotypical as it can get. It's a true story. It's worth your time watching. As we're watching the movie, we get to the end, and spoiler alert, she dies. Um, she has cancer, and they have a funeral. I had to tell you that because I'm going to show you a clip. And at the funeral, well, let's just watch and see. Go ahead and roll that. As we all gather here today, every single one of us has sweet memories of this incredible lady. When Debbie asked me to do this service, she had only one request, and that was that Denver say a few words. So without further ado, for those of you who may not know him, this is the man of Debbie's dream, Denver Moore. I never met Miss Debbie. Miss Debbie met me. I didn't want to know Miss Debbie or any other wild woman for that matter. But ever since I know her, Miss Debbie wanted to be my friend. I'm sure she was friend to every soul in here. I still ain't figure out why she want to know a fellow like me. I sure ain't been nothing to be proud of. I was captive and dad was prison most of my life. Many folks seen me there lock up and pass me by. I don't blame them. I was not nice, dangerous, and probably just as happy to stay in prison. She was different. She sent me behind them bars and reached way down in her pocket and pulled out the key God gave her to set me free. She's the only person to love me enough not to give up. Now I stand here. It changed me. It freed me. I just spent a lot of time worrying. I was different from other people, even all the homeless folk. And then after I met Miss Debbie and Mr. Ron, I worried. 
was so different from them that we were never going to have no kind of future. But what I found out was everybody's different. Same kind different as me. We all regular folks walking down the street God don't set in front of us. And Miss Debbie, she's a whole nother of kind of different. Miss Debbie, she dream of a better place for the homeless. And I ain't talking about heaven now. I'm talking about right here in your town. Now I'm gonna pick up Miss Debbie's torch and I'm gonna carry it round. It will make Miss Debbie real happy if you will make her dream come true. And pick up her torch and carry it around too. Now I'm fixing to do something the devil ain't never done for you. I'm gonna cut you loose. Before I do, you can take this with you. Whether we is rich, or whether we is poor, or some in between, we is all homeless. Every last one of us. Just working our way back home. Welcome home, Miss Debbie. Welcome home. I just tell you that I walk with people today that I would have walked away from yesterday. And that's the power of the cross. That's the power of a kingdom that is moving beyond me into we. I don't know if I have the exact figure right, but I want to say that Denver and her husband, Ron, went on to raise $85 million for homeless advocacy. Just through that story. And I'll just tell you this, that there is a world so much bigger than the world that looks like you and me. If we'll just embrace this truth, that the kingdom is in us, not just people that look like us. He's in us. The kingdom is in us. And the kingdom that he is building, he takes me and he moves me into the we. So I got something for you to do with these people. Bow your heads. Just would you take a moment? Full disclosure, when I watch movies like that, they just strike a chord with me. There's something so deep in me, I don't even know quite what it is or how to even put it into words. 
But there's something in me when I see stuff like that, it just makes me feel so restless for home. And, and again, not home in heaven, but heaven's home on earth. It makes me restless to see that kind of impact, that kind of unity in Albemarle that I don't really sometimes know what to do. And, and bless Winnie's heart, she has to listen to me talk about it like, we got to do something. We got to do something. I just don't even know what to do. It's just like my insides are going to just spill out everywhere. And in those moments, the best thing you can do is simply say to God, what's one thing I could do? What's, who's, who's one person I could call? What's one story I could listen to? It's even hard as a pastor to, to try to inspire you to do it because I feel like it's not even enough. But what if all of us heard one more story this week? What would, what would our city look like? What if all of us reached out to one? I don't know, but I'm ready. I'm ready to try. Not so we have a big church, although that'd be cool, but so that our church would adequately reflect the kingdom of God that is coming here as in heaven.